a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 135 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard my big-voiced friend say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. This episode of the Say the Damn Score podcast was recorded from the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score World Studio in the basement office of my townhome here in Burnsville, Minnesota. This episode is, again, a few days late, and like last episode, I'm still in the middle of a pandemic-fueled sports whirlwind. Game after game after game, playing logistics manager and getting everybody in the right place. It is just taking an enormous amount of time, and I hope you understand, and I appreciate your patience as I try to get these podcasts out to you while also operating my business and trying to retain some semblance of sanity. I haven't been doing very well at that last part, but I do try. To me, one of the most difficult parts of the sportscasting business is the fact that you can't control your own destiny in most cases. There's endless frustration of waiting for decision makers to decide that you're the right fit for the job or that you have the right talent for their operation. I know personally it's led to lots of self-doubt, sleepless nights, and wondering why the heck I couldn't have developed a passion for something like accounting or dentistry, something less competitive less subjective than what we put ourselves through. As you guys all know, I did kind of get tired of of the rat race and waiting for people to give me opportunities, and I went the route of the entrepreneur and made my own opportunities. I've had several people reach out and ask advice on how I do it, how they could do it, advice, suggestions, etc., And that got me thinking that it would be a perfect fit for this show to reach out not only to other broadcasters, but other sportscasting entrepreneurs. That's why the next several episodes of this podcast, at least three, are going to be talking to sportscasting entrepreneurs who decided to stop waiting for opportunities and seize their own. This week, we're spotlighting Gerald Sanchez. He is the former women's basketball voice at the University of Houston. He's on a hiatus there. I don't know if it will be long-term or not because he is focusing on his business, the Legacy Sports Network. The Legacy Sports Network is an audio streaming powerhouse in the Houston area, and we deep dive into why he started his own business, how he runs it, how he finds sponsors, how he finds broadcasters, all kinds of different things that it takes to successfully run a business, and he's been doing it since 2009. For full disclosure, he's actually someone I reached out to 
before I started my own streaming business. So uh, he does things a little bit differently, but a lot of what he said helped me to build what I'm doing right now. The advice he shares in this conversation is both excellent and applicable, and the blueprint that he sets out is one that I think most people can follow if they have the desire to do so. Without further ado, Gerald Sanchez of Legacy Sports Network, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Let's start off where I start off with just about everyone. I should probably stop saying that I start off with just about everyone, but at what point of your life did you get the sports casting itch? When did you know that was going to be the career you pursued? I was five years old. I saw cameras and lights and production studios, and I said, that's what I want to do. And then growing up listening to baseball on radio, basketball on radio, Houston Astros, the Houston Rockets, and, of course, the Houston Oilers, I fell in love with listening to the game on radio and the roar of the crowd. My hometown didn't get cable packages to where we could see all of the Astros games, all the Rocket games. Now, the Oilers games we saw every Sunday afternoon. We also went to a lot of ball games, but I didn't get to see a lot of games on TV unless it was on TBS or on the NBC Game of the Week. It was on national television that I could not see my favorite teams. So I listened to radio, and that's how I fell in love with it. And that's what I knew what I wanted to do. What broadcasters in the Houston market did you listen to uh, in your formative years that helped you develop your passion and maybe your style to some degree? There's two broadcasters in particular that I always credit that were huge influences on my career. Gene Peterson and Jim Foley. They were the voices of the Houston Rockets. They were there for 35 years. And growing up, listening to their call, I fell in love with, like I said, listening to the game on the radio, the roar of the crowd, the excitement in Gene and Jim's voice. They were definitely homers for the Rockets, but they gave credit to the other ball clubs as well. And I have a little bit of style like like that. Also in baseball, Gene Elston, and then later, Milo Hamilton. Both both are Ford Frick Award recipients. And I listened to their call and the way that they painted the picture, and especially the way that Milo Hamilton had years and years of stories, how he told those stories on the air, and the excitement that he had and, and everything like that. And then, of course, with Gene Elston, very smooth and just straight down the middle, and you knew it was Astros baseball anytime you heard those two men's voices. So knowing what you wanted to do since you were five years old, you have more time to you know, plan and figure out what you're going to do than you do if you're, in my case, and you don't figure out that you want to do sports broadcasting until you're a sophomore in college. You went to Houston University. From what I can tell, you spent your entire life in Houston uh, what went into that decision as opposed to exploring other places farther north with big broadcasting programs? When I was a young boy, I saw Phi Slamma Jamma. And <laughs> my father took me to college basketball games at Hoffines Pavilion. And, of course, whenever the Houston Cougars would play anywhere else, my older brother went to Texas A&M. And there was a huge age difference between my older brothers and I. So I'd go see them at college when I'm just a, a young pup. 
But I'd see the Cougars play at Texas A&M or University of Texas at the old Irwin Center, and I fell in love with UH basketball. That was my decision, really, to want to be a broadcaster and to call games over there. So I I knew what I wanted to do very early. I'm going to go to UH. I'm going to be a Houston Cougar, and I want to be a sports broadcaster when I grow up. Other people wanted to be doctors, policemen. Some people wanted to be mailmen. I didn't. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, and that's how I knew what I was going to do from a very early age, and that's how I picked my school. How how many reps did you get there? Were you able to get on the air right away on their student station, or did you have to wait? What was the process? When I was growing up, and I grew up in a town of 60,000 people two hours southwest of Houston. It's Victoria, Texas, hometown of Doug Drabeck, 1990 Cy Young Award winner, and Ronnie Gant, who used to play for the Atlanta Braves. I... At 16 years old, the day that I turned 16, I went and took my driver's test and went and applied at the local radio station because I knew what I wanted to do. And I knew that that's how I was going to get my foot in the door, was able to get experience, to get on air, and I became a local radio disc jockey. And with the intent of learning the business and learning how to get into sports broadcasting. So at age 16, I started to – I was on the air, had a a weekend – night shift, which turned into the afternoon, and by the time that I was 17, 18 years old, I was calling high school football, high school basketball, because in a small town, in a local radio station, you can do those things. You can make your mistakes. You can make the errors and get the reps, and that's what I did from my teenage years. And so by the time that I was in college, I already had broadcast experience at a commercial radio station, terrestrial radio. Give us the Cliff Notes version of how you got from that point at Houston to back as their women's basketball broadcaster. I believe it was eight or nine years later that you were able to secure that job full-time. Well, I went back to, after graduation, went back to Victoria to work full-time at the local radio station. A opportunity opened up in a for an internet sports station that was groundbreaking for its time and it was doing internet streaming texas sports radio network and i started working in 2001 in houston uh, broadcasting local high school sports and seeing uh, the store the stars of tomorrow at their high school days and then through networking and opportunities and and learning the business and learning about the broadcast industry per se, uh, was able to make some networks and some contacts and was able to start doing some fill-in work over at Rice and at UH. And then it eventually led to my opportunity to call the games for uh, women's basketball and also do a lot of the baseball as well. Who were some of the stars of tomorrow that you got to see uh, at that point? I remember the Astrodome. You remember the Astrodome? It's before Minute Maid Park. That's the first dome stadium of its kind. 50,000 fans watching Vince Young of Houston Madison light up the scoreboard and take an inner city school all the way to the state semifinals. That was my very first memories of me being in Houston and seeing uh, a great athlete. Vince Young was so amazing. And I've seen... 
Matt Carpenter. I have seen James Loney. I've seen many others. I've seen Paul Goldschmidt. I, I, this, so many players from the greater Houston area have gone on to play in the major leagues, and I've called a lot of those ball games over the years. And those families I've made good relationships with, too, over the years. So how satisfying was it for you finally getting uh, you know, that full-time position? It's not a full-time job, but being the full-time broadcaster uh, for Learfield IMG for Houston women's basketball being a Cougars fan since uh, you were a very young child, take us through what was going through your mind at that moment when you finally sealed that deal. It was nice. It was uh, a lot of hard work gone into it. Um, very proud that I was able to get that. But with bigger goals in mind, um, it's just one step. And I run my company, Legacy Sports Network, with that's what I am really focused on, and I really want to make that grow and, and you know, be a, a staple of high school sports in the, the greater Houston area. That's a great segue to the purpose that I really wanted to kind of get you on here to begin with is that, uh, again, wanted to talk to sportscasters who are entrepreneurs who have built their own opportunities, have found a way to make a living without necessarily, you know, waiting for a Learfield IMG or a radio station or somebody else to sign their paychecks and give them that chance. And you started Legacy Sports Network. And let's just start with what was the inspiration behind uh, getting away from terrestrial corporate radio and getting in, taking that chance, taking the plunge? As you can see, that terrestrial radio is no longer what it used to be. Uh, Logan, when was the last time you listen to fm radio you know that's funny no one's gonna be able to see this because it's a podcast but we're on video and i got this gag gift this tiny little radio receiver and i turned it on and listened to it so that is the first last time i listened not in the car every now and then i listen to the sports stations here um just for to listen to the other broadcasters if i'm driving around the gopher or vikings etc but um yeah that's the last time was this tiny little three-inch receiver that I got as a joke gift at Christmas? <laughs> it's it's a dying it's a dying medium. Terrestrial radio is not what it used to be. Print newspaper is not what it used to be. You can see the changes in corporate America as far as the radio industry, how it has changed so much. The way that we used to do it as independent broadcasters is we would purchase time on a local radio station. Well, in a market like Houston, how many schools and how many games are going on that are big that we want to broadcast? And you only have so many radio stations. And then if you are paying $2,500, $5,000 to put a game on, well, you got to make that up in sponsorships. And... You ask yourself, is it worth it, or can I have this clear signal that is accessible and I can control my own content? I don't have to share with the radio station 12 minutes of content. Why not do it like this, and why not put it here, and why not have it reach everybody around the world instead of just a small area? And so it was a no-brainer. You could see the industry changing. You could see technology becoming what it is. 
and technology easier, like you said at the er earlier part about how people can do things on their own now. And as I was telling you before we started, I was a, I was a little boy. I always wanted to start my own radio station. I always found the, inter the, the, the business side of broadcasting just as interesting as the production side. And that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to create something on my own and and put my spin on it. Were you nervous going into it, taking the risk and getting out of your comfort zone at that time uh, with what, especially when you did this in, I think it was like 2009, was a pretty unproven route uh, to go streaming broadcaster? Well, remember I explained in 2001 I had started working for a company that had started done internet streaming, I'd learned a lot of the technical aspect of it. I learned a lot of things uh, in those six years that I was working for this company. And then I was able to take that along with my, my clientele and the relationships that I built with the school districts, the athletic directors, and with the sponsors. And I floated it out there a couple of times, hey, would you support me if I did this? And I never got a no. I, everybody was just very supportive. Everybody was resounding yes. So when I made that transition, there was more excitement, not a lot of fear at all, not a lot of trepidation. It was just, it's time. I'm, I'm ready to do this. Your streaming service is audio only. And at that time, that was probably the most reliable option that you would have at that point. You still are audio only, if I'm correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're still audio only. Has there been temptation to add video? Are you happy with audio? What's the thought process behind that? Both. <laughs> A lot of the school districts here in the greater Houston area have started to do audio, excuse me, done their own video streaming for the district itself, and they're putting it on their platforms I've been very fortunate because of the relationships that I have built with these school districts that they've asked me and my company to provide them the audio to go along with their video. So working with these school districts has helped me become uh, a good partner with them rather than, let's say, me trying to do it on my own, me trying to take all the inventory. Let's share this. Let's work together. Let's not have competing audiences. Me have an audio broadcast only and you trying to have a video broadcast. Hey, let's, let's be your audio and we'll put your video on our site and we're sharing the same audience and not having competing audiences. And sponsors love that. What do you do for your commercials then in that case? Do you just have audio only commercials on the video? What's your path that way? This year, yes, we have just started with audio only. And the reason that a lot of these school districts started to do that was because of the virus. In Texas, before this year, we couldn't stream live games on Friday nights. As you know, and as your audience probably has a great idea, that Texas high school football is huge down here. I make a living off of Texas high school football. A lot of other states, I don't know if I could make that living in that market. But here, I can. People are so rabid about the high, the scene of high school football. You look at the stadiums and the amount of money that is involved in it. It is, it is quite the spectacle. And so 
they started doing video streaming because crowds were limited and that's where I was able to provide them the audio. So to answer your question, I do audio commercials because that's what the, the school district wants. Now with some more planning, because we didn't have a lot of time to plan before everything happened and we just put these games on the air, with more planning we're going to integrate video commercials into our our uh, our online streaming. I find it interesting that streaming has obviously been around for a while, but with the pandemic, I think it has really sped up the adoption of streaming by athletic directors and and made it something that this year is incredibly important to the point where a lot of schools, I would say most schools, at least in my area, in the Twin Cities Metro, now have some form of their own stream, and that it would be harder to do what you or I are doing starting from scratch next year as opposed to what it would be this year. Do you see the streaming bug really being caught in your market? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And not only the streaming bug, but every business that survives this era of of difficulty. As a businessman, and you and I are both entrepreneurs, we look at things and we, we, we try to look and learn from other industries and other businesses to maybe make it better for our business. And the resourcefulness of the United States and the American business. Think about it. DoorDash, Zoom, virtual offices, what you and I are doing right now, that really wasn't the norm 12 months ago. But look how everything has changed. Look how we've had to adapt. Look how bars, they may not be able to serve alcohol, but they can now serve food. They have to survive. We're finding ways to survive. And so, yes, I think that that it's going to, it's going to catch on even more. And, and, um, it's, it's an amazing time to, to be innovative because I've always thought somebody is going to come out of this era with a great business. Somebody out of this is going to come extremely wealthy and rich because of an idea and concept. What has been your biggest challenge running your own streaming business for high school sports with the pandemic? Biggest challenge probably at the beginning was the sponsorships because people really didn't know what was going to happen. I couldn't sit down in front of a business or I couldn't, I couldn't talk to somebody and say, yes, we're guaranteeing you this amount of games because we didn't know. We didn't know until a week before we kicked off the season that we were going to have a season. So I had to put everything together, and and I had some things in place. But then again, we didn't have everything in place because it's just it takes time to develop. And I was able to to put everything together. But to to the the, the sponsors being able to make sure, okay, we have this amount of sponsors because they are going to to do this. A lot of businesses were affected. A lot of uh, expendable income was changed. Budgets changed because, well, uh, people need to get back out there to work. And so the expendable income is not what it used to be. I've found that that as well, that finding the sponsors, usually the great sponsors for this type of thing, local restaurants, dentists, uh, a lot of the people that initially were hit the hardest by the pandemic 
weren't able to have customers at all for a while, and those advertising budgets shrink really quickly. Let me say this, Logan. As we went along into the season and sports was really coming back, businesses were also coming back, and people became very generous to what I was doing. They were more than happy to be a part of what we were doing because just as a collective community, it's it's a sense of normalcy. And I noticed how people were so generous, and I think more so than than previous years. How did you – you mentioned you weren't able to just sit down in front of sponsors like you usually would. You'd usually walk in or set an appointment at their place of business. A lot of stuff this year I found is email – and phone, which is, frankly, telemarketing is really hard. That's what I found if you don't have the pre-existing relationships. And so I found that to be a particular challenge into uh, selling sponsorships in general. What have you found? Sales are sales, right? That's all about the relationship that you build with your client. They buy you, not necessarily your product. Yes, your product, but they buy you too. And so when you're trying to get new businesses, I always feel comfortable sitting down in front of somebody and creating that relationship, getting them comfortable with me and finding out what their needs are and how I can serve them. So that was thwarted a little bit. It's a little bit different over the phone, especially when you're asking for the amount of dollars that you're asking for because you want to build that that one-on-one relationship with the the, you know, the the business. And so that was that was a challenge, but this is how we do business now. We have to do business uh, this way. I still try to get out and see my clients, and some of them require masks. Some of them are still working from home. If they are, that's just how we, we do it on Zoom or we do it on a phone, whatever they feel comfortable with. But I like getting out in front of people. I like people. I, I like people, and I like being around people. I'm a, I, I, you know, That's the energy that I get. And so when I'm able to sit down in front of you, and show you what we're trying to do or just catch up on and finding out how you have survived as a business. How have you transitioned? What have changes have you made? I love hearing those stories. Go back to when you just started your business, your Legacy Sports Network. Doing video, I found there's not enormous startup costs, probably more so than if you were just doing audio. I'm assuming you just needed mixers, headsets, and probably some way to a laptop and a way to get an internet connection. But how did you find uh, the initial startup money to get all of the equipment and maybe other stuff that I'm not thinking of paying some broadcasters? How did you figure all that out at the beginning? Well, um, you create a budget, just like anything else in business. You create a budget. You sit down, okay, this is how much this is going to cost. This is how much this is going to cost. And with the sponsor relationships that I had, Starting this, knowing that I could talk to these people and say, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. This is, I'm, I'm starting my own thing now. And people, because of the relationships that I built, were more than happy to help me in any way they could and sponsor us and, and, and want to be a part of what we're doing. I'm certainly not asking for any specific numbers or anything like that, but were you able to be especially with your pre-existing relationships, profitable immediately, or did it take uh, a 
half a year, an amount of time, uh, how long did it take you to kind of feel good about the direction? It took me about six months. It took me one football season. It took me one football season to know, okay, yeah, we can, we, we, this is how we're going to be able to do this. This is how we're going to be able to grow. And now we can do, we can focus on basketball. We can focus on baseball. And just like anything else, there's always a lot of trial and error in what you're trying to do. But the trial and error was very minimum. How do you go about cold calling new sponsors? As you had a lot of pre-existing relationships, those help if you're in sales already. But when you go about cold calling, because that's what many people who would try to go this route have to do if they don't have those pre-existing relationships, how did you find cold call sponsors? Well, when I very first started, I had no relationships. And I did two things. I was able to go to games and stadiums and get these programs with sponsors in them that have, you know, the program as that they sell with the rosters and everything. And then there's sponsors in there. I also looked at scoreboards in stadiums and saw advertisers on there. I also got local chamber of commerces from the local communities. And I just put all of this stuff together and I just started calling down the list, one by one by one by one. There are no shortcuts in doing this and trying to find, when you're trying to build something, there are no shortcuts. You have to put the time and energy and effort into it, and you have to be persistent. And like I said earlier, sales are sales. Whether you're selling a stick of gum or you're trying to sell thin air, like you and I, we sell thin air. Right? People, we don't, we don't have something that is a tangible product. And so I've always known that no today doesn't mean no tomorrow. And you're doing two things when you call. One, you're trying to make the sale. You're trying to build a relationship. But also two, that's a way to market what you're trying to do. Hey, you may have told me no, but if you're interested, check us out. Legacy Sports Network, lsnsports.com. Get a way to market your business, build your brand. And you do that over amount of time with social media. Now, social media has changed a lot too. But you do that over a brand amount of time, it helps. And when you're trying to create business, when you're trying to get the sponsors and you call on them time after time and you're persistent, and then you show that other business hey, this guy is serious. He really wants my business. Okay, I'll give him a chance. And that's how it happens. So you you have to put the time, you have to put the energy, and you have to stick to it. 20 phone calls and you get no, no success out of 20, 40 phone calls sometimes? Don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. It's going to take several months to build. But if, if you are tenacious enough and persistent enough, there's no reason why you can't do it because you're selling a community product. People love high school sports, whether it be in Texas, whether it be in Pennsylvania, whether it be in South Dakota. It's a community. These kids represent that community. So local businesses want to support that. What equipment do you use and what a software do you use as your distribution system for your for your call? 
I use the Butt software uh, broadcast using this tool. And we have uh, a mixer. We have a laptop. And we have headsets, crowd mic. And uh, we play all of our commercials off of the laptop. So we loop our commercials from the laptop into the board, back out, back on the laptop. So it's just a little USB plug that we plug into our USB, and away we go. How do you find broadcasters, and how many do you have? I have, um, oh, goodness. <laughs> because things change and because sometimes people need to take time off or, or whatever, I have a bank of broadcasters that I am able to call on, maybe 20 to 30 broadcasters that, I've had relationships with that that can we can plug in to to do games but when I set a when I set a season schedule the way we do it we do every single game for that school and I have two broadcasters a play-by-play and a color guy and I assign them uh to those those schools a lot of times how we find them is through well the networking that I've been able to do over the years that I've been in this market and two also, ask around. Ask the athletic director. Ask local coaches. Hey, who do you think that would be good to maybe to be a color analyst that we can include on the broadcast? Sometimes it's the president of the Chamber of Commerce who has a little bit of backing, uh, broadcast background and public speaking that he is tied in with that community and people like to hear him. And so that's how we're able to to, to put our broadcast teams together is that what makes that in that certain community. You mentioned if you work with the school that you do all of their games for the season. How do you come with that agreement? How do you pick your schools? And is there a revenue share program? How do you make it worth their while? Sometimes there is. Sometimes there isn't on a revenue share when we come to the agreement, it's that's just the, my business model. Is that that's just, this is what, exactly what we're going to do? We're going to do every single game for you, and that's how I, I go to sponsors. And this is how what we're going to do. We don't pick and choose games here and there. We're not, you know, all over the place, all over the city, doing whatever game is the most important. Every game to us is important. It's a part of a season. It tells the story. So that's how we're able to do every single game is because that's what we start at. Do you do both home and road, and how do you get – do you ever struggle getting permission to do road games if you do them? Very rarely because of the relationships that we've built over the years here. People know who we represent. They are more than accommodating because if they need us to do something for their school district in a pinch, we'll, we'll do that. So um, – very, very rarely do we have problems getting permission for road games. But, yes, we do both home and away. How do you pick your schools? Do you target ones that you think have the right um, type of business community, the right reputation, or do schools come to you? How do you go about deciding who you're going to cover? I, get a good, I have a good story for you, Logan. I went to a private Catholic high school in Victoria, St. Joseph. The St. Joseph Flyers. I'm giving a shout-out to my old alma mater. <laughs> when I started this, everything is in Texas is public schools. Public schools are big, big, big. Private schools, you got a lot of great talent, but it's not to the same – it's not like what it is in Chicago or New York where the private schools are the dominant. It's, it's the public schools are huge. 
So when I started this, I thought, you know, why not start with a private school? Why not start with a private Catholic high school? So I went to St. Thomas High School, and we did their state championship at the end of 2008 in baseball. And uh, I thought, you know, no one's doing their games. No one's touching them. But this is a school that reminds me a lot of my school. It's very traditional. It goes back to 1901. My school goes back to the 1800s. My high school is the oldest private school in the state of Texas. St. Thomas is the oldest private boys' school in the state of Texas when it started in 1901. There are legions of families that have sent their kids there. There are business owners in a good community that is economically sound. So why not? So I made the appointment with the athletic director. We sat down. He loved my idea. He says, yes. Two weeks later, Craig Biggio is named the head baseball coach for St. Thomas High School. (laughs) And that was just a perfect marriage. We covered all of Craig's games. I got to know him, his family. Um, I've already knew his family from being an Astro fan and season ticket holder and going to the games, but really forming that relationship, seeing his two boys. Now Cavan is playing second base for the Toronto Blue Jays. So proud of Cavan to see what he's, uh, what he's doing at the major league level. But that's where we started. And that's how we became what we did, and we grew from there. And, of course, uh, because of the relationships that I had with others, we started with other school districts, and it grew from there. So now that you're established and somebody comes to you and says, I want you to do our games, do you are you more selective with who you deal with, or do you pretty much try to take everyone and go forward? Most people have a, a, a broadcast team or a broadcast company that covers all the big schools here in in Houston, all the 6A and 5A. Those are the two highest classifications in the UIL in the state of Texas. So there's not a lot of going back and forth of of schools and who is with, you know, who has the rights to this, who has the rights to that. So it's been pretty status quo over the last five to six years, I would say. Uh, But if someone were to come to us, we wouldn't we would definitely talk to them, explore it, look at what how we can be supported, and I'd be very fr- upfront with them, and I'd say, well, you know, for, or for us to do this, we need sponsors. You know, if we can have a certain, we can have a certain way to know that we can succeed in this. Yes, we would love to be able to to broadcast these games. So mostly. Uh, the schools and their booster clubs have been extremely supportive. I've had a, l- a few minor issues dealing with with sponsors who already donate their money directly to booster clubs and not wanting to sponsor because of that. How often do you run into that, and how do you solve it? Sometimes I do. How I solve it, I'm very blessed and fortunate to be able to be working in the fourth largest city in the United States. Houston, Texas, has business after business after business. If one says no, well, let's go to the next one. And so I'm able to, I have a, a, a vast amount of resources to be able to call on people to be able to support what I'm trying to do. So if one business says no, I'll remember you. I'll try to establish a relationship even though you do tell me no and let me go to the next one. And then next time around, 
I'll call you again. Are most of your sponsors regional businesses who just want to be on all the schools you cover, or do you really zero in on the ones that want to are in specific neighborhoods and want to support specific schools? Both. Some have multiple businesses in school districts that we cover, and some are just the local donut shop. Some are just the local insurance agent. Some are a welding company that his son plays on the baseball team or football team. And so that's how we're able to to create the sponsors. How do you promote your games? Obviously, uh, you can put the best broadcast in the world out there, but if nobody knows about it, uh, it, no one's going to listen to it and your product is not going to be viable for sponsors. Uh, How do you promote it? How do you partner with the school? How do they help promote it as well? We let the school know this is the games that we're going to do. We keep in, we, we, we form relationships with the, um, the marketing people or the social media people for these school districts. They promote it. And then of course, like I said earlier, social media has changed everything how we, we deal with in our society. And it's no different in the broadcast industry. Hey, let's, let's put this on Twitter. Let's put this on Facebook. Let's get this promoted. Let's cross promote on our broadcasts. Let's put this on our YouTube channel and let's get it out for people to know that they are able to tune in for these, these broadcasts. So there's stadium announcements that we have. There are program ads that we, that we are given in by the booster club at these games that they sell these programs. Listen to the Oak Ridge War Eagles live on lsnsports.com, and then we put our little logo of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube so people know where to go for our social media. So that's how we promote a lot of grassroots effort. What social media platforms have you found the most uh, success with? Twitter and Facebook. Uh, that's the that's your, that's your the people that are, especially Facebook, like they say, it's the older crowd that's the, the buying pe- the, the buying power. So, you know, your, your demographics of 35 to 54 who are spending the money. So that's where you want to do it because then you can also promote your, your, um, your sponsors on your social media. And that's just as an added value to whenever I'm sitting down in front of a sponsor and say, okay, we have 8,000 people that follow us on Facebook. We have 2,800 people that follow us on Twitter. This is what we do. So on social media, what we do in our broadcast is that because in high school, you have a cycle of four years every year. You know, every year is different because parents are coming in and out. People are moving. Kids start as freshmen, but then they graduate four years later. So you have to constantly be promoting. So we'll go to a booster club. Hey, promote this for us if you can, please. And then on our broadcast, we say, hey, and throughout the broadcast, we'll say, do us a favor, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And that's how we're able to, to generate some interaction with fans and are able to also build our, our social media. How do you set your rates without telling us exactly what they are, going too deep into what you wouldn't want to share? Um, how do you come up with your rates and what's fair for you and what's fair for the client? Because it's especially starting from scratch right at the beginning of your business. Well, you want to start 
by covering your costs. That's, that's what you have to do first. Um, and then you also know what you, the market is, what it bears. Some people are able to only charge $25 a game. Some people can charge $750 a game. Now, if I were to able to charge $25 a game here, I mean, I, that's, that's different than, let's say, a rural community in Indiana. So it, it just depends on your, your pricing. But what I've done in the past is what has sold and what people will buy. And to make them see the value, that's what you're able to set your price as. And that's the big thing is making your sponsors be able to see the value. How do you do that? You build relationships with them and then you show them proof points. Throughout, throughout the year, I try to keep a constant communication with my sponsors. Hey, here's a little audio clip that we gave you an audio mention and I send an MP3 to them or I put it on social media that they are our sponsor. I put their logo, I make a video for them, a YouTube highlights video, a package that where we're doing to where you can see the value. It is community support. Your return on investment may not be immediate, but people know that you're a part of what we're trying to do. What are the disadvantages of going this way and building your own business as opposed to taking a paycheck from a radio station or another uh, another corp, more corporate entity? I don't see any disadvantages, but <laughs> that's just me. I would say that for my experience in knowing disadvantages is that you don't have a steady paycheck. You don't have, okay, I'm going to be able to say this is what I'm making if I work this amount of hours, this, that, and the other. So I guess the disadvantage would be if you don't have a steady paycheck if you don't know how to work it correctly or if you're just starting out. What do you use to keep your books and handle that? This is what I struggle with the most is I know how to sell and I know how to broadcast. I don't know how to do accounting and I don't know how to do like the administration and the invoices. I've obviously learned um, through trial and error. But what was your process of learning that side of the business? Um, I I taught myself. I did a lot of, well, also my father ran a business and I saw how he was able to see how he looked at his books and how he ran his books. And so I, I relied a lot on my father to, to help me in the business end of those type of things. And he helped me in the very beginning. And then eventually I was able to hire somebody. What advice would you give to someone if they came up to you now and said, hey, I'm thinking of starting my own streaming business. I want to be my own boss. I want to do my own thing. Uh, what would your biggest advice be to that person? My biggest advice would be to find out the business aspect of what you're trying to do and to understand your costs and understand how you're going to get from point A to point B. And there are a lot of people that have helped me along the way to get to that level. And there are people that will help anybody. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in somebody that's in, into the streaming business or into the sports broadcasting business because business is business. Sales are sales. And so I would just say pick brains of people 
on how they started their own business and learn from that. And and then also, you know, create a budget, learn know your costs and know how you're going to get from point A to point B. Anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? I'm just trying to think if there's anything I'm leaving out. I know this is kind of a a very different episode than what we normally do, and there's a lot of moving parts to what you do and what I do and what more and more people are doing all the time. Uh, what have we not talked about that you see as important? Well, I I put a lot of emphasis on quality of broadcasts. There are some people out there that like to do quantity. I like to focus on quality. And I think that it's very important that my broadcasters are well-coached, are well-informed, and well-educated when they go on the air because they're trying to tell the story. Everybody has a different, different level of experience, and everybody has a different level of ability. So as a owner of what I try to do, I try to be very encouraging and learn and, and to be constructively, uh, critic, you know, give them constructive criticism on how they can be better broadcasters and how to, to be able to present the story better. I always talk about there's this guy in Minnesota called Logan Anderson. He's got a podcast and it's this title of Say the Damn Score, you know? And I say that. I say, Say the score. That's the most important part. Score and time. <laughs> Always tell people what the score is because they're not really tuning in for you. They're tuning in for the score. And so I, uh, I, I try to coach my broadcasters as best as possible and to, to make the quality of our broadcast the best that it can be audio sound-wise and also on the, the, uh, the announcer sound-wise. How often do you do your own games? For the oh, <laughs> I don't do them very often, actually. Uh, I I will help out every once in a while if one of my broadcasters. I'll go and join them on a, as, as a color analyst every now and then. Um, I do still try to do as much St. Thomas baseball as possible. Craig uh, resigned as the head coach after Cavan graduated high school in 2013. But I still try to be a part of St. Thomas uh, High School baseball as much as possible. So um, once baseball season starts here in the next couple of weeks, I'll be behind the microphone calling some baseball games again. So I want to follow that up with how often do you get phone calls 15 minutes before they're supposed to be on air trying to figure out the technology and trying to walk them through uh, what it takes to, to make everything work? That happens, especially in the early part of the season when people forget how to hook up the equipment. Our equipment is very is, is fairly simple, but it happens. And so um, I'm a very patient person. I'm a very laid back person. So I, I try to to make it as easy as possible for my broadcasters. And if they can't get it, if they are struggling, I, I walk them through and we get on the air. And then later later that next week. I, when we have more time, sit down with them and say, okay, let's, let's learn how to do this. And I make sure that that is a, a point of emphasis and a point of focus. But that happens. For every one of these, I ask a broadcast horror story. And 
Uh, I'm going to change it a little bit with you. Give us a streaming ownership horror story where uh, something went horribly wrong, not in a way that's actually horrific, but in a inconvenient and annoying way. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of them as long as you've done it where connections wouldn't work or who knows what it could have been. Give us a streaming horror story. A streaming horror story. I have one that I was actually on air that is a is a horror story. I, I look back at it now and I tell the story all the time. I, I'd love to share that story if that's okay. Go for it. So I I do a lot of freelance work as well and, and here in the market, and we're doing an ESPN Plus broadcast. It's the Southland Tournament, college baseball, and it's down in Sugarland. This is a couple of years ago. And so we're on the final day of the tournament, and the winner of these two teams is going to play the champion later that night at 6 o'clock. And we're doing a 12 o'clock game. And so we're on the air, and the game is going along, and I, uh, I'm, my, my broadcast, uh, my color analyst and I, are, are we're having a good broadcast, banter back and forth. And then my producer in the ear tells me that, hey, we're going to have a guest coming on, and we'll let you know who it is next inning. I said, all, all right. So I thought, well, we'll have a guest maybe with the sideline person. Well, no, they bring in the guest. So the media relations director of the, of the, of the conference tournament brings in the guest, and he just – and so I'm on the air in the middle innings. Or rather, I'm in the in, – just about to go on before the inning, and the uh, – the, the media relations guy points at me and says, you know, okay, hey, this is the guy. Puts his headset on. We're on the air. Top of the inning. And I have no idea who this person is. They didn't tell me who it is. They just said, this is your guest. My producer says, go ahead and introduce him. And uh, I'm calling the play, you know, ball one. I have no idea who's sitting to my right. And my color analyst obviously doesn't know who it is either. And it's a man. It's a it's a it's a man in, in a in a blue shirt and a, and a cap, but I don't see a school logo. I don't know who this person is. I don't know who it is. So, I have my color analyst say something, and I quickly hit the talkback button. I say, "Who am I speaking with?" My producer doesn't say anything. I text the media relations guy, "Who is in the booth with me?" They don't reply. So I've got to say, he comes back and says, introduce your guest. And I say, thanks for joining us. What a lovely tournament we are we are having. I have no idea who I'm speaking with. And this <laughs> goes on for a couple of minutes. And this is live on-air television. This has never happened to me before. They always say, hey, this is so-and-so. And I'll have some type of reference. I have no idea who this is. Never seen the man in my life. We keep going. We keep going. He doesn't give me any clue of who he is in his answers. I'm asking because I'm asking very general questions because I can't ask specific questions. I don't know who it is. No one is replying to me. I keep talking back to the producer. I have no idea who this is. Who is this? <laughs> and I can't, I can't ask the man, hey, sir, I have no idea who you are. Who are you? <laughs> that would make me look like a, like a buffoon. Well, finally – the media relations director texts me back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I missed this text. It's so-and-so coach of so-and-so. And I, I said, 
then I my my next question I said I said which one of these two teams will you want to play tonight coach I know exactly where to go after that but I know I had no idea who this person was and this went on for about a good three minutes on the air and <laughs> that was one of those moments where I was so embarrassed <laughs> and it happened a couple of years ago that is fantastic if anybody wanted to reach out to you with any questions or uh advice what would uh, the best way to do so be they can find me on any social media platform whether it be twitter be instagram or facebook i am gerald sanchez and uh my website that we have that we broadcast games lsnsports.com and there's a contact us button if they want to reach out to me there to to learn anything or they can you know send me a direct message on any of the social media platforms and if they have any questions about streaming i'd be more than happy to to answer them all right well once again we are visiting with gerald sanchez the owner of legacy sports network gerald thanks so much for your time and coming on the say the damn score podcast it's been my pleasure thank you so much and if there's another opportunity for me to, to jump on with you i'd love to talk about some old baseball stories we have tons of baseball <laughs> stories and and anytime i go on a, on a, uh, a speaking engagement to a chamber of commerce or to a rotary club and that's another way to brand our business uh, to, to market it and to let people know is that we i go and do these speaking engagements it never fails anytime i want to get a laugh out of the crowd unless I'm talking to a lot of young kids. But for the most part, I'm speaking to businessmen, older businessmen. I always either start or end with a Yogi Berra story, and that's <laughs> guaranteed a laugh. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice and follow me on your favorite social media outlet. But my main request for you, if you've been listening this long, you must really like this show, and I have so much appreciation for that. What I would like to know is, A, do you like this new temporary direction anyway, where we dive into the entrepreneurship side of sportscasting, or do you prefer just the normal interviews where we uh, go over the path of broadcasters who have taken more traditional paths to what they do? Second, please tell a friend about this podcast. It's the only way that this thing grows. It's a small, organic, grassroots podcast. Uh, I don't have an advertising budget. I don't cross-promote very much on other shows. So if you can just send a tweet, a Facebook, a message, tell someone the next time you see them. Just tell someone about the show, just one person. If you really like the show and you want to make me happy, tell two. But one will do, and I would greatly appreciate it. And if you find value from this show... That will help other people find value from the show and help me to help it grow. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so that they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.